Well, good morning and happy Father's Day. Welcome to Hillside. Um, it's always good to be at Hillside. That said, this is not my ideal hillside. <laughs> Over the years, I've enjoyed coming here. I've enjoyed uh, spending time with you. I enjoy preaching. I enjoy the worship, talking to you between services. I enjoy all of this, but uh, this is different. And uh, like you, I long for the day where we can gather together as a gathered people of God and worship together and hear the spoken word together. But in the meantime, online church will have to do. Uh, and as a church, I know that you've been journeying your way through the book of Philippians, which is a, a letter that an early follower of Jesus Christ, a guy named Paul, wrote to a church in the city of Philippi. That's why it's called the book of Philippians. And uh, Pastor Derwin asked me to look at uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 21 today. And so that's what we're going to explore this morning. And so if you have a Bible, and you should have a Bible, you should have one in your home. If not, you're online, you can, you can scroll, you can click, you can turn, but turn to Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 21. That's what we're going to be looking at. So Philippians uh, chapter 3, beginning in verse 12, Paul writes these words. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us, then, who are mature should take a view of, of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For, as I have often told you before and now tell you, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Jesus, this is your word. And you are Lord of this earth. You are Lord over all. And so we pray that you would speak to us wherever we find ourselves this morning. Speak into our hearts. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart to receive and the courage to respond to what you say to us this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Now, if you're coming to this text, and maybe for the first time, it's a, it, the text is a bit odd if, if, if you're just starting at this point, because Paul begins his text by saying, uh, not that I've already obtained all this, or I've already arrived at my goal. And so the question that we should be asking is, oh, Paul, what are you talking about? <laughs> obtained what? Arrived where? Um, wh what is this thing that you're talking about? Well, in order to understand what Paul is saying, you just have to back up a little bit. 
um, earlier in, in, in chapter 3. And we read in verse 8 where Paul, he writes these words, powerful words that you looked at before. And it says this, uh, Paul says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ, be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And so what Paul is laying out is he's laying out the picture of the Christian life. Just the, the beauty and the glory of the Christian life. And, and, and he's, he's saying that his desire, his desire is to experience, one, the full knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's, it's a desire to experience the full power of his resurrection. It's a desire to, to share in his sufferings and to become like him in his death. It is a desire in the end to achieve the resurrection of the dead. And, and Paul, he desires this so much that he essentially says all his achievements, which were notable, mean nothing. He says all my previous identity, which was impressive, doesn't mean anything. None of this matters compared, compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. Nothing, nothing matters for Paul except knowing Jesus Christ. Now, it's easy to move on at this point, but I just need to ask you the question that I've been asking myself. Is that my desire? Is that my desire? Is, is my desire to experience with all my soul the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord? Oh, Jesus, may that be our desire. Okay, so with that in mind, look at, look at verse 12. Back to verse 12. Paul says, not that I've obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. Paul says, my desire is to know Jesus, but have I fully arrived? No, not yet. Not yet. Have I obtained all this? No, not yet. In fact, Paul knows, and we need to realize this, that you and I will never really fully, fully experience this until after we die. And arrive home and, and receive our resurrected bodies where we live for eternity before Jesus Christ who loves us and died for us. Paul says, I'm not perfect. I haven't arrived there yet. Um, but, but, until that day, until that day, all of us are called to persevere. We are all called to press on. And Paul writes that he's going to, he's going to press on to lay hold of that for which Jesus Christ laid hold of him. So what is this? What is the life that Paul is pressing towards? Well, again, he wants to know Jesus very deeply. And it's a reminder that the goal of the Christian life is Christ. The goal of the Christian life is not you know, to be a good person. The goal of the Christian life is not to be a good husband or to be a good father. That's not the goal of the Christian life. The goal of the Christian life is to know and be known by Jesus Christ. And, and that's important for us to get because a lot of Christians kind of have a messed up understanding here. A lot of Christians, they think, you know, okay, well, there's a point in my life where I prayed to receive Jesus into my life. And now I'll basically put in time until I die. And because I prayed to ask Jesus into my life, I know when I die, I get to go to heaven. But now, between now and the time I die, is kind of like a holding station. Um... But for Paul and for the entire Bible, uh, this kind of thinking has no place. 
our life, our life and our experience of Jesus begins the moment you bow your knee to him. Eternal life is not after you die you experience eternal life. Eternal life begins now. And, and so that's why Paul says, look in verse 13. He says these words. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. In the meantime, you and I are to press forward, to press on toward the goal. And Paul says these words. He says, we need to forget what lies behind. Now, what does he mean by that? I mean, this, this forget what lies behind is, is often tripped people up. What, what does it mean to forget what lies behind? Well, I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that our past isn't important. It doesn't mean we erase or ignore our past. Why? Because the stuff that we do and the stuff that has been done to us in the past shape our story. They shape who we are. And, uh, and so you can't ignore that. I mean, there's things that I've done that I wish I had never done. And things, you know, um, that I didn't do that I wish I had done. And I need to learn from that. And so to forget what lies behind is not simply to, to ignore, to erase our past. Not at all. In fact, by remembering my, I'll speak for myself, remembering my past and the things that I used to do um, reminds me of the amazing grace that I received in Jesus Christ. He died for my sins. So what is Paul saying? What does it mean to forget what lies behind? Well, I think what he's essentially saying is this. He's saying, don't get stuck in the past. And we can get stuck in the past in two ways. We can get, we can get, stuck, um, we can get stuck in our old failures. Um, and you think about it. If anybody who could get stuck in the past, it would be Paul. By his own actions, by his own words, he was a blasphemer of God. He rejected Jesus. He persecuted his follower, Jesus' followers. Paul was a violent man. And given what he had done, I mean, it would be difficult for Paul to live, in, uh, live with himself. It would be easy. It would be easy to get stuck in the past. And a lot of people, I meet a lot of people who get stuck in the past. Um, they, they, they spend most of their time reliving the past. They relive things that they said that they wish they hadn't have said. And they, and they get stuck there. Or, or they think about key decisions that they made or they didn't make that they wish they had made. And they, and they, and they, and they relive them over and over and over again in their mind. And they get stuck. They get stuck in the past. Um, it includes, you know, past relationships. Things that, you know, relationships that you wish you hadn't gotten into. Or re relationships that maybe you wish... You had taken advantage of, you know, and entered into, but, but didn't for some reason. Um, it could be as a, as, an, as a parent, you know, some, some bad parenting moments. Uh, I, I have many bad fathering moments in the past. I was thinking uh, this week of my poor son when he was little. And he's just a little guy. He's on a bike. He's a, he's a little timid to be on the bike. And, and we're at this place and all these other kids were going down this big hill. And I said to my son, Matthew, I said, Matthew, you can go down this hill. And he's like, no, man, I'm not, it's, it's scary. I'm like, and it was like, I thought it was going to be a big proud father moment. I said, Matthew, you can do this. I believe in you. You can do this. And he's like, I don't. I said, come on. And so I pushed him down the hill. 
And uh, he went down the hill, hit a rock, flew through the air, and landed in the mud. And I came up to him, and I said, Matthew, are you okay? He's like, I told you I didn't want to go down. The-. So that was like a bad fathering moment. And many of us have moments in the past that we wish we could have do-overs, right? And a lot of people get stuck in their, in their past failures. Um, and so we need to be careful with that. And here's the other thing, though. People can also get stuck in the past, not just with their past failures, but people can get stuck in the past. They can get stuck behind by their past successes. And, and I wonder, I wonder if, if, if this is what's going on a little bit in Philippi, that you have people, who are maybe some Judaizers, some, some Jewish members of the church, that said that we're still saying, hey, we're people of the Torah. The Torah is, it, we, they look back at the Torah and they value it, but they're looking back at the Torah, but they're not looking forward to Jesus. Right? Could be something like that. And I know churches often fall into this where, you know, <laughs> I remember visiting many churches that say, you know, back in the day, back in the 60s, this church had a TV ministry. We did this. We did this. It was amazing. But the church is dead now. But they're still living in the glories of the past. I remember visiting a church in New England. It was uh, George Whitfield's church. George Whitfield is one of the greatest evangelists in church history. And I visited his church, and they're like, oh, this is where George Whitfield was buried. This is where George Whitfield did this. And George, amazing evangelist. But the church was dead because it was stuck in its past success. Paul says, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press forward toward the goal, to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And so Paul says the Christian life is, 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 is a life where we fix our attention ahead of us. It is, it is this singular focus that we're supposed to have. And so Paul, he pictures himself, it's an interesting metaphor, he pictures himself as an athlete in a race uh, where every muscle, every nerve is totally focused on, on one goal in mind, and that is to win the race, to win the prize. And, and, and Paul is essentially saying to this, as we're running this race, you need to have this singular focus. And that means, among many things, you don't get distracted. Don't get distracted in the race. And I was thinking about this this week. There's this famous race. Many of you probably know about this. Uh, grown up in Vancouver. In 1954, there was this um, big race in Vancouver between... Uh, and, and it got a lot of people's attention because of two particular runners, um, Roger Bannister and John Landy. And uh, both these guys were really quick, and Bannister had broken the four-minute mile, and they're running against each other. And Landy was, rin- was winning the race for most of the, uh, most of the race. And uh, the race is known for the fact that both guys uh, cracked the four-minute uh, threshold, uh, finished the race under, under four minutes. But there's this moment in the race, uh, some of you may know it, there's a statue downtown Vancouver that commemorates this. And uh, Landy's running in, he's ahead, and Bannister's catching up, and then Landy, he looks over his shoulder, he looks over the wrong shoulder, and while he does that, Bannister passes him and, uh, and wins the race. And uh, most athletes, uh, especially runners, they say when you're running, you don't look behind. You don't look behind, because when you look behind, it slows you down, you get distracted. What do you do? You keep your eyes fixed on the finish line. And so that's what Paul's getting at. In our Christian life, there's lots of things to distract us, but our eyes need to be fixed on the prize, on the finish line. And Paul says these words. He says, keep your focus entirely on the prize. In this case, the prize is Jesus Christ. So strain 
and focus towards Jesus. Now, this is where, if you read this passage, you can go into a ditch. Because some people read that passage, they say, man, I need to strive, I need to strain in order to get to know Jesus, in order to, in order to be saved by Jesus, in order for God to be happy with me. And that's a danger. That's, that's where all, an, all analogies uh, break down. Um, and, and that's why Paul says something really important in the following verses. Look in verse 15. He says this. He says, all of us then who are mature should take a view of such things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. And then he says this really important point in verse 16. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. Man, this is so important. Let us live up to what we've already attained. So you have to get this. Because if you think you're going to strain, strive in order to be okay with God, that is going to kill you. The whole Secret, I, I know I've shared this uh, at Hillside before. The, the secret to understanding the gospel, the secret to understanding Paul is this. Paul says, because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross through his life, death, and resurrection, when you put your faith in him, you receive the grace, you put your faith in him, you become an adopted child of the Most High. You become an adopted son. You become an adopted daughter. You are declared righteous. Your sins are forgiven. You are holy and righteous in his sight. This is who you are. And then Paul says, okay, you got who you are? All right, now live up to it. And so the Christian life is, is, is a journey where we become who we already are. Okay, so the starting point is grace. It's always grace. And that's what Paul's saying. You live up, live up to what you've already attained. So it's not this straining and striving as, will God like me? Will he hate me? Is he mad at me? It's like, no, he loves you. You can boldly approach the throne of grace at any time because of the cross. But now you live out the implications of that. And that's what Paul is saying in this passage. But how do we do this? How do we run the race and win the prize? Well, Paul, he gets super practical here. Look at verse 17. He says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. It's really interesting. Paul says, you can grow in your faith. You can grow in your faith by watching how other people live and imitating them. Um, Paul says, hey, look at my example. Follow me. And it's, you read that, it's like, whoa, Paul, that's a little, <laughs> little egocentric, you know. But Paul's saying, look, in, insofar as I'm pursuing Jesus, watch how I do this. And you have to realize, I mean, Paul's writing this letter at the time. The, the New Testament's not put together yet, right? And so what does the church in Philippi have? Well, they have Paul's example. They have examples of others as well. And so Paul says, imitate me. Insofar as it points people to the reality of Jesus Christ. And I know that Pastor Derwin a couple weeks ago talked about the importance of mentoring. The importance of having people in your life that can spur you on in the Christian life. Paul's just reiterating this. I know I would not be where I am at today without mentors in my life. I remember back in um, 1999 when I was still working at Regent College. Um, I'd met somebody who I, I saw something in his life, and I'm like, man, I wish I had this in my life. And the guy's name is Don Krause. He used to be the pastor over at Coquitlam Alliance. And uh, Don was in Vancouver. He's doing some work at a church I was attending. And I remember asking Don. I said, Don, can you mentor me? And he, so he drew up. He said, okay, what, what will it look like? And he still has the, the thing that we drew up. And uh, man, that's, that's 21 years ago. And Don's been my mentor ever since. And that's what Paul's getting at. He says, brothers and sisters, follow my example. Let me be a model. Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. 
And so the question I have to ask you is, is, do you have somebody in your sphere that is getting your attention, that you look at their life and it's like, man, I wish I could be like that. Well, get, get a mentor. Get, get a, a soul friend. Um, you're not going to make it through life alone. I, I've been teaching recently on uh, Pilgrim's Progress. And some of you may know the story, but it's the story of this journey of this fellow guy named Christian. Um, and the story is basically a metaphor of the Christian life. And one of the things I learned in, 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 in Pilgrim's Progress is that uh, the main character would never have made it to the celestial city <laughs> if he didn't have a friend. And he has friends along the way, and these are key friends, especially when he experiences, you know, the, the darkest valley, when he experiences giant despair, when he experiences all sorts of things. It's his friendships that keep him going. And so we need to have mentors. And here's the thing. You may say, well, man, where I'm at, I, I don't have any mentors. I don't see anybody. Well, here's the thing. Some of your best mentors could be dead. One of my favorite mentors, one the, probably the guy who's mentored me the most is John Newton. And he died in 1807. But um, he still speaks into my life. So you have no excuse. Find a mentor for, 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 for the Christian walk, for the Christian race. Uh, and this is important. You need to find good mentors because um, bad friends, bad influences will mess you up. And that's what Paul says in the very next passage. He says, in verse 18, he says, For as I, I've often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. And Paul says, you know, there's people who are enemies of the cross. And these people care more for their well-being. Care, they care more for the things of earth than they do for the things of Jesus. And Paul says, beware of these guys. Beware of these people. Stay away from them. They will pull you away from Jesus. And I've said this before. A bad friend is worse than no friend. Because <laughs> a bad friend will mess you up. And some of you may be influenced by some people right now. And you know that if you keep being influenced by them, it's not going to lead to a good place. Um, You've got to make good calls at this time. And that leads to the last point that Paul makes, which is essentially this. Remember your allegiance. Look at verse 20. He says this. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And Paul says, remember, you're a citizen of heaven. Now, to a lot of Christians, we hear those words, you're a citizen of heaven. And we think, oh yeah, what Paul's saying is that, you know, when we die, we get to go to heaven. And that's, that's, that's our home. But I'm not sure if that's what Paul is saying exactly. Because back in the first century, you found citizens of Rome. You found citizens of Rome scattered all throughout the Roman Empire. And when a person said, I'm a citizen of Rome, they, they, they weren't saying, well, I hope someday, one day... To live in Rome. That's not what they're saying. Um, but what they were saying is that as a citizen of Rome, my allegiance, my supreme allegiance, is to Rome and to the emperor and to the leader and to all things Roman. And that's a picture that Paul has in this passage. The church is to be a colony of heaven, an outpost of God's reign. 
And our responsibility, wherever we find ourselves, our responsibility is to our emperor, to our leader, Jesus Christ. And we're called to pray, we're called to live with the desire that the reign of heaven, the reign of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God, would come, come on earth as it is in heaven. That's what Jesus taught us to pray. And so we do this until our dying days. We do this, as Paul says, till our lowly bodies begin to wear out. And we hold on to the hope, we hold on to the glorious hope that one day our King Jesus, we, we hope that he, we, our desire is for him to return. Our desire also is that when we die, when we die, that our bodies will be transformed and we'll be like his glorious body. And we will be in the place where there's no more tears, no more suffering, no more cancer, no more death. But in the meantime, wherever you find yourself, you show allegiance to your king. You remain loyal to him. And now here's the thing. We live in very uncertain times. But isn't that a cliche now? Unprecedented times. I, all times are unprecedented, actually. Um, but a lot of people say, we are living, but we are living in strange times. Yes, we are. And there are a lot of movements and causes that are demanding your allegiance. We're told that unless this cause or this movement becomes an ultimate priority of your life, unless you prove publicly through social media or through whatever that this cause or this movement is your ultimate priority, then there's something wrong with you. And the pressure is overwhelming. And so perhaps more than ever, it's easy for us to waver, to lose focus in the race, and to stumble. Now, I'm not saying that these causes and these movements aren't important, but they're not ultimate. Jesus is ultimate. And so we need to come back to Paul's words again, and let them be our heart cry, let them be our prayer. One thing I do, one thing, forgetting what lies behind, Straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now I want to say to you this morning, some of you, you're watching this and you're feeling really tired. Listen to what Paul says. Press on. Some of you are feeling discouraged. Press on. Some of you are lonely. Find a good friend. Find a mentor. And together spur each other to press on. And some of you are probably feeling like I am, feeling distracted, disoriented, and confused. More than ever, we need to keep our eye on the prize. We need to keep our eye on Jesus Christ, to keep our eye on his love for you and for me. And so, my word of encouragement to you this morning is to not give up, but to press on. Let's pray. Jesus, King Jesus, our allegiance belongs to you and to you alone. One thing we do, we forget what lies behind and we fix our eyes upon you. You're the author and the perfecter of our faith. We fix our eyes upon you. For in you alone is our life. 
In you alone are we reoriented. In you alone, um, our mind gets clear. We, we get brought into what the psalmist calls a spacious place in which we can get the lay of the land. And Lord, there's so many things floating around in our world today that are easily distracting us. And, 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 and there are a lot of really good things out there that uh, are calling for our attention. But may our allegiance never waver. May we, we see this world through the lens of your Lordship, Jesus. In you and you alone is our life. And so we commit our life to you to run the race and to strain in whatever we have to follow you. And we ask this not in our own strength, but in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, just before I lead us in a benediction, I just want to remind you there is a Zoom virtual lobby um, that will be uh, taking place immediately after the service uh, this morning. Again, a happy Father's Day. And uh, let me leave you with these words. And they're just Paul's words. Um, where he says this, and may this be our, our, our heart's cry. May we press on to take hold of the very thing that Jesus Christ in his grace and his love took hold of us for. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in his grace.